And uh, just to make sure you're in the right place, you are at the members orientation. And uh, we've got two classes going on this morning during our second hour. There's the member orientation, which is this room. And uh, this is designed for members. So if you're not a member, we have something designed for you this hour in adult classroom one. It's just outside of these doors behind you here in adult classroom one called our newcomer orientation. And uh, because we're just doing these two classes this morning, sometimes we'll have a third class offered uh, for those who've been through member orientation or maybe one or the other. And uh, this time we're only offering those two. So you may have been through one of these but we still ask that you go to whichever category you fit into. So if you're a CBC member, you should be here uh, this morning, second hour. If you're not a member, then we invite you to go to the newcomer orientation, which is just outside of those doors and across the hall to uh, adult classroom one. It's on your left as you go out the doors there. And uh, glad that we have this opportunity to uh, kind of level set together and uh, go through what may be very familiar to some of you if you've attended recently. Uh, if it's been quite a while, then uh, then a lot of things will be new to you. But either way, uh, great for us to touch base on all these things. The guys are walking to the front here. They have notebooks for our class for this week through the next four, the next four Sundays or three Sundays after this. And uh, if you don't have a workbook already, just raise your hand, let them know you need one, and they'll make sure that you get that. And while they're doing that, just want to uh, remind some of you, you may not have been here when we did the announcements first thing this morning at the beginning of the worship service. So I want to review a couple of the items that uh, we announced there in your program, just highlighting um, this afternoon, those of you who have signed up, maybe you intended to and didn't, um, there is the servant seminar offered the second time today at 4.30, uh, starting in this building at 4.30. And this is a great opportunity for you to uh, touch base, learn, uh, as Pastor gives the overview of what uh, we'll be doing in the next 10 years to carry out the mission that we're working on together. So Servant Seminar is a great time every year just to uh, reconnect with our mission, think about what we've done in the past year, and then set out plans for the coming year, and this year in particular as Pastor presents our 10-year plan. So that's this afternoon. And then um, two things I want to highlight from, you can take a look in the program and see all of the announcements there, but two things I wanted to highlight. The first is next Sunday afternoon, the Sanctity of Life service that we'll be hosting here in this building. Uh, the insert in your program says that that begins at 2 o'clock, and that's actually a misprint. We have new ones that didn't make it into your program uh, at this time. The correct time is on the website. And the correct time is in your program. 2.30 is actually the start time. So make a note of that. And then I also uh, am told that the uh, service times, if you share one of the invitations, uh, I think on the small invitations, it may be correct. I didn't see those. I know uh, there were a couple of those that I did see that have correct times. But some of these half-page inserts have the incorrect time for our worship service. Those of you who are here every week, you know our worship service begins at 9.30. But if you share that with a guest, just let them know, correct that time on there. Uh, and then I'm sure in the next couple of weeks we'll have reprints with corrected information on that. So I think that does it for the uh, highlights in the announcements. Thank you all for sticking around second hour this week and uh, joining me for our member orientation. And uh, just as we begin, before I give you the introduction and talk a little bit about what we'll be doing over the next couple of weeks, uh, let's pause for a moment and ask the Lord to uh, help us have a profitable time together this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come together as your people and to 
take an intentional approach to carrying out the mission you've given us together here as your people at Community Bible Church. I thank you for all of these brothers and sisters who have joined together as members of CBC to carry out your work in your world together. And we pray, Lord, that as we spend this time thinking through why we're here and what this is all about, that it would be uh, encouraging and that it would build us up as a body so that we're better equipped to serve you together. And we pray this for your glory, and it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. All right, so this is member orientation. I'm, you probably all are members, you know who I am. I'm Larry Castle. I'm an assistant to the pastor, work with our youth ministry here. And uh, for the last several cycles of our new members orientation, I've had the privilege of teaching that, taking some, our newest members through uh, the material that we're going to go through. And we've, we've been through a process of editing and updating the material. So if it's been quite a while since you've been through, it'll be very different. Uh, same core content, but uh, and how we explain and some of the ways we uh, go about executing the, the mission, mission and ministry we're in together. Um, and then if you've been through it recently, through one of the classes that I've taught, uh, there will be a lot of overlap, but I encourage you to stick around. Uh, we have some things that you would not have been uh, through. And then I know several of you, through the course of the four-week new member orientation, when you were going through the cycle, may have had to miss a week or two. So this will be a chance for you to catch up, miss, uh, catch up on what you had missed. And then uh, we have some special things, especially as we get toward the end. Some new things that we've implemented, new tools that are available to us, and uh, we're going to hopefully uh, be able to help you understand better how to dig in and uh, be fully engaged and take advantage of all the tools that we have available to us here to get the mission done. So one of the things I want to point out, if it's been a while, how many of you have been through our new member orientation um, prior to, let's say, the last four or five years? It's been longer than four or five years you've been through it. So a good amount of you. And then some of you have been through it more. Has anybody never been through our new member orientation? Okay, so some of you, this is your first time. You may have just joined or you were skippers and you didn't didn't go through it when you you first joined. Um, Or you were doing some other area of ministry and not able to make it. Um, In our former cycles of teaching the new member orientation, one of the things that we had that we gave out right at the beginning was a new member kit. And uh, over the years, we've tried to identify the right components that would go in a new member kit and refine that and revise that. And uh, we've, we've whittled it down to just about uh, all digital components except for the notebook that you've got in your hand this morning. And so um, wanted to highlight that because if you took our new member orientation a long time ago, you might have gotten one of the big boxes. I have a, a couple of those myself uh, at home. I've got mine and my wife's. And uh, it pretty much had the notebook um, in its earlier form. And then it had a couple items in there, <clears throat> items that we're going we're gonna to mention throughout the training, throughout the uh, orientation, um, invitation cards or bus- church business cards, and giving envelopes were the other big things. And uh, we had talked about at times maybe making a video to go with that or you know welcome video from pastor. But as we go through this material, uh, I'll highlight the same elements that would have been formerly in a new member kit uh, that now we still have in other formats. Why do I mention that? What difference does it make? You're here. I don't have a new member kit for you, so why mention it? One of the reasons was 
we wanted you as members to have an easy way to get to um, the core things that we taught you about how we operate, as well as key things like uh, a tool like an invitation card or a way to reorder that or a giving envelope to make sure that you're keeping track of you know, your stewardship of, of the financial resources and your part in the ministry in that respect that, that you're taking. Um, the other reason, and, and we have ways for you to still do that, the other reason is we want all of our members to understand that the things we're going to talk about in this class, in this next uh, 30 minutes or so, 35 minutes, that we take very seriously and that we have taken an intentional approach and uh, very intentionally set up the way we operate as a ministry and the tools we make available and the things we encourage you to do because we take our mission very seriously. And that's one of the things that prompted us originally to put together a kit. And that is that it shows here are all the components. Here's, you know, here is your kit to get you started. And I hope that you'll come away with, uh, with that same sense as we go through the material. So take a look at the, uh, the index page, your table of contents at the beginning of your notebook. And you'll see there just kind of a overview of what we're going to go through. And it's broken up into four weeks, roughly. We'll, we'll start with the introduction today, and uh, we'll go through. We'll stop just before the finance section today. We may actually uh, pull forward uh, the section on our targeted ministries, depending on how much time we have. And then uh, next week, we have a treat. We'll have um, our treasurer, as well as our head of our security ministry, uh, in to go through and describe their ministries and the way that uh, you would be able to interact with and, and uh, just to make you aware of how those key ministries work here at CBC. And to start that off, actually, next week, we'll also have uh, a guest speaker and one of our missionaries. We're going to finish off today talking about outreach and, and about our, our involvement in missions. Next week, we'll actually have the opportunity to have a missionary in uh, to share what they're doing with us as well. So that'll be week two. Week three, we'll really spend talking about our targeted ministries as well as how we, as a church, uh, have built into the structure of what we do week in and week out, the mission. And you guys are probably familiar, we, we talk about it a lot, our mission, that, that we exist to help people learn about God, love him and others, and live for his purpose. So we actually walk through uh, the, the weekly routine of our church and the monthly events and how all of those things fit into us carrying out the mission we have together. And then the last week... What we really want to do is finish off with going through an overview of our community service ministry and helping you understand how to use some of the tools I'm going to refer to as we go through uh, class these next couple of weeks. So that's where we're headed. Take a look at page one, and let's begin with our introduction. <clears throat> what we designed to do with this class, normally it's new members orientation. This week... Or this this cycle, it's member orientation because so many of you have been through it over so many years. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to come together and level set and catch up with, uh, as it stands today, here is how we're pursuing our mission together. And so that's really what this is, that's what this class is designed for. Uh, the Bible tells us in several places in the New Testament, uh, in fact, in, in Philippians chapter 2 that we've recently been going through, the Bible describes the church as as pursuing the mission God's given us together with one mind. We read that in Acts chapter 4. We read it in Romans chapter 15. It's in Philippians chapter 2. And as you read throughout the book of Acts, 
you read about the church going about the mission God's given them and pursuing the work that God's given them with one mind, striving together. And so that's what we're trying to do here. And notice that that, that is the church doing it, not just believers doing that. It's the church. It is the believers collective doing that. And that's the second section that you see here in the introduction, priority of the church. You obviously understand the importance of the church. You've become a member of one. You at least understand enough of the importance of it that you realize that becoming uh, a part of a local church is important, that it's something that God says is important. And so that's why you're here. And you can't read through the New Testament without coming away with uh, the impression and explicitly understanding that the church is where God is carrying out his work in his world. Um, few, few passages that we have listed there for you. First Timothy chapter 3, God's household. He refers to the church there. Paul refers to the church, to this young pastor as he's describing the church as God's household, the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The New Testament describes the church as being entrusted with the truth. So when God's word, as we read in the book of Acts, is going forward and it's prospering and the word is being carried out and people are being added to the church daily, those who are being saved, you read about the the work that God is doing in the world and it is through the church. And one of those ways is the stewardship of the truth. And just to highlight, uh, there are all kinds of good organizations available uh, in our culture and American Christianity and in the world we live in today. But this passage here points out that it is the church that is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. It's not a particular TV ministry. It is not uh, a blog, no matter how good uh, the writing of a particular writer is and how edifying it is. It's not a radio ministry. It's not one of the many good, helpful parachurch organizations that there are. It's the church. And those other things that are available to you and I as American, modern American Christians, those other things are only as good as they strengthen the church. That's their value, to strengthen the church that God is doing his work through. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 there. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What is Jesus building? He's building the church. Ephesians chapter 3 God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he had accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That God is showing, is is playing out his master plan for his creation, and how is he doing it? Through the church. And so I just want to impress upon you And I think I'm probably preaching to the choir, as they say here, to a group of folks who've already joined with a local church to serve. But I wanted to make sure we all understand that the emphasis in God's word when it comes to what he's doing and the the mission we've been given as believers, it centers on the church, so the priority of the church. So the Christian life, you see in the next paragraph there, is a, a decision to live life in community. God has called us together 
with other believers into a local assembly here. And God has designed for us to prioritize that, to give priority to the local church. So uh, that means if we're going to prioritize the local church, that means we should be of one mind. We should understand together what are our priorities as a church. And so that's what we want to talk about. So getting to know us on page two, getting to know CBC. And that's really, as you looked through the index there, we're really going to spend the next couple of weeks getting to know CBC, orienting us as members to how we have planned out and intend to operate as a body together. And then in the last week, we'll spend some time hopefully getting to know you and giving you opportunity to make sure that uh, our information on our membership is correct and we can help people uh, as efficiently as possible be finding the, the best places for them to serve. So getting to know CBC, one of the things that um, intrigued me right away, a little little background to uh, how I came to CBC, some of you, many of you maybe I've uh, had an opportunity to share with. I met Pastor Ken a couple months before CBC was started uh, through a mutual friend who was a part of the church planning team here at CBC. <coughs> they were going to have a meeting, their first meeting that they invited people who would be interested in helping out to at the Carico's house. And my friend told me actually the week before this meeting was to happen. And so I, I was looking to learn about church planting anyways as a young guy in seminary. So I visited that meeting and I sat there in that first meeting and I heard Pastor Ken uh, lay out his, do you, did you have something for me, John? Oh, gotcha. Okay. I want to make sure I wasn't forgetting an announcement. Uh, and I sat there and I listened to Pastor Ken lay out um, his plans, uh, how he has thought through um, what I would call the functions of the local church and how he had uh, set out and planned to carry out the various forms that they would execute those functions in. And that was one of the things we talked about early on a lot. And we would joke about getting confused between which is which, but form and function. Do you guys understand what I mean by that? Uh, a function of the local church would be to preach the gospel, um, to uh, facilitate the worship of the body, uh, the local body of believers worshiping the Lord, and then any number of things that we would read in the New Testament that a local church is supposed to do. The form that we would do that in would be things like we own a building that we meet in, whereas in previous times, perhaps uh, we, we would rent space, or in earlier um, times, churches would meet in homes because there weren't spaces available for them to purchase or to rent. So those are all forms, uh, but the functions are things that don't change. They're things that are, that are universal, that God has said, this is why I have built the church. And as I listened to him describe uh, the way he had thought through the functions of the church and uh, intentionally planned out ways to execute those functions in the various forms that would make sense in our setting that we were going to be serving in, um, I, I, was, I was so excited. I was thrilled to hear somebody having thought through that and uh, set out a plan intentionally to carry that out. And one of the facets of that plan that he uh, talked about from the very beginning was uh, discipleship from finding somebody who has heard the gospel for the first time, helping them understand the gospel, seeing them become a believer, and then training them, discipling them so that they are a fully devoted follower of Christ and prepared then to be from the person who didn't believe and was converted and believed and grew to then able to lead the church. 
And uh, he actually went through the book of Acts and showed how uh, Paul did this with men and went through the apostle, uh, the epistles and letters to Timothy and showed the different aspects that we need to pay attention to. And then talked about all things being equal, we ought to be able to do this in the life of a believer in a fixed number of years. And he, he looked at how Paul would go into a city and plant a church and remain there for a couple of years or for a while, and then he would appoint leaders. And it was a very refreshing um, description for me, a young seminary guy, to hear in contrast to not necessarily what I had been taught, but kind of what I had caught uh, growing up and, and learning about ministry, which was more of a professional model. Uh, which was you, you know, if you have a desire to go into ministry, um, you explore that desire, you, all very good things uh, that, that I had been catching. You uh, ask the church to confirm your qualifications and go through a process of education and ordination and all of that. Uh, but it was more like a professional track. It was more like if I wanted to be an accountant, I would uh, explore my abilities, I would then go get a degree, and then I would get placed in a career and I would climb the ladder. And here I heard him talking about leadership and leadership development, and it was very exciting. And uh, that's that's what we talk about on page two at the very beginning of getting to know CBC, and that is uh, we understand the critical nature of uh, the leadership of the church and developing uh, leadership in the church. And so we've tried to make that a priority over the years. And uh, one of the one of the ways that we prioritize that is in our leadership. And that's section, the first section there, our leadership team. Our leadership team is built and comprised of uh, men that fit into the two offices that are described in the New Testament, two biblical offices of the church. That is pastor and deacon. And you see there after the word pastor, we have several titles listed. And uh, depending on your background, you may have heard these titles used in different ways. Uh, some denominations or, or um, uh, some churches might use the term overseer or elder or pastor to mean something distinct from one, one to the other. Uh, but the Bible's very clear. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. In fact, let's do that. Let's look at 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, take a look at that, and uh, our guys have... Our guys are probably going to grab a couple Bibles if you if you need one. Uh, when you see the men are back in, let them know, and they'll uh, they'll get one for you. So, First Peter chapter five. <clears throat> Verses one and two there. This is Peter writing to elders and uh, addressing elders directly in chapter five, verse one, and he says this. He says to the elders among you. I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. And here's his charge to them. He says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. And then he goes on to describe uh, more of the responsibilities. But you notice there that he calls, he addresses them as elder, and then he tells them to be shepherds, which is the term, uh, same term from which we get the title pastor. And then as well, uh, later on, he talks about who God has made you an overseer. This group of people over whom God has made you an overseer. Uh, that's, that's the term, uh, bishop. And so 
these terms are used interchangeably. Uh, also, if you wanted to look up, you can jot down Acts chapter 20 in verse 17, verse 28. A similar type of usage happens where you have uh, Paul writing, I'm sorry, uh, Luke writing and talking about um, addressing men who are pastors, but using these various terms for him. And so as you look at the New Testament usage of these terms, they're all referring to the same office. So we recognize there are two offices. There's the office of pastor and the office of deacon. And the Bible describes qualifications for each of these offices. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you see there under the the, uh, heading pastors, we find qualifications in the first seven verses for pastors. And uh, we won't turn and look at that right now. Uh, But there are a list of qualifications given there that speak to a couple different areas of a man's life. They talk about his character. They talk about um, his ability to teach and theology and about um, what a pastor does. And those are the, those are the three areas of qualifications. Uh, Titus 1, 5 through 9 uh, reiterates some of those and, and describes qualifications for a pastor as well. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, that if anyone desires uh, the office of a bishop, they desire a noble task. But that desire alone is not enough. And I mentioned earlier uh, some of the things that I had been taught as a young man or caught uh, coincide with what the Bible teaches about this. And that is that uh, if I want to be a pastor, that's a good thing. That is a good thing to pursue. But it's not enough that I just want that. Um, God calls men into pastoral ministry who have certain abilities and qualifications. And it is up to us, the church, to help evaluate that and make sure that we uh, place the proper men into leadership in this role, this capacity as a pastor. So um, the desire alone is not enough. It's up to us, the church, to uh, recognize those gifts and abilities of a man that's qualified for that ministry. Uh, As well, deacons are listed uh, as having certain qualifications. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, and Acts chapter 6, we read about the qualifications of a person who would be a deacon. And so um, it's important that uh, we not just accept people who into leadership of our church who might be um, good at business, for example. It'd be very, it's very um, tempting, and it wouldn't be uncommon for us to think of people who might be a natural leader in another arena of life, maybe in business, uh, maybe in um, their community, or in politics, or in some other area, uh, as having certain skills and abilities that lend themselves to leadership. And uh, that that's good. Some of those things actually overlap with the qualifications that the Bible gives for a pastor. Um, but there are other areas, like I mentioned, character and uh, giftedness for that particular ministry. And so when it comes to uh, leadership in our church, in the capacity of deacons, we actually have a requirement. We have a course that pastor has uh, overseen over the last several years, uh, in the early years of our church, and uh, in the coming um, in the coming year, we'll actually have the leader of our men's ministry taking over uh, this this curriculum, this leadership institute uh, that we have, and uh, we have this so that we can be helping um, men growing in those characteristics and qualifications to become leaders in the church. And you heard Pastor this morning talking about uh, the fact that we take this serious enough that we want to help these men. If there's 
an area that needs to be worked on, that needs to be grown in to become qualified to be a leader in this way, that we want to identify that. And so we have surveys that we hand out, and we hand out those surveys regarding the men that would serve as a deacon as well as their wives. And and uh, you notice, um, I think we've got here in the notes, that uh, actually I think it's, it's later in our notes we talk about those surveys uh, being given to people who are in... Uh, involved in those people's lives in their church life, in their uh, outside of church, in their vocation, people who know them in different situations because those different situations uh, shed light into uh, the, the kind of people we are, the maturity level that we have, and all these areas that we want to evaluate. So there are pastors and there are deacons, and together pastors and deacons serve as our leadership team. And together the way that they serve is our pastor sets the agenda and uh, is is tasked with setting the direction of our church and leading in that way. And he relies on our deacons to uh, help in the decision-making process, to be uh, counselors to him, and then to help in executing. And that's literally what the term deacon means, is servant. And so the deacons take a large part, a large role in executing then the agenda of our church. Um, so... Take a look over at page three then. I, I alluded to this already, our leadership development. Leadership Institute we describe at the top of the next page. So someone who would be a leader in our church should have been involved or is or should be currently involved in our Leadership Institute. This is a track, uh, a curriculum that is designed to take uh, people who would lead in our church. And I say people because... Um, ordinarily, this is this is kind of designed for men who would lead in the capacity of pastor or deacon. Uh, but we do have this is we've had women take this course, and we have women who lead in certain parts of our ministry as coordinators. We have uh, women who oversee currently our children's ministry, a very big responsibility. Um, uh, we have a, a ministry leader who leads uh, Val Fight, our our Sunday community kids. And then uh, Rachel Adenosian, who leads our Wednesday night uh, community kids. And those are significant roles of leadership in our church. And so this leadership uh, institute is open to anybody who would like to grow and mature in their uh, ability to be a leader in ministry at our church. But, I, but it is designed specifically in mind to make sure that we uh, are taking an intentional approach to growing uh, and maturing the men who will be the next leaders of our church uh, as a part of the leadership team. And so you can see the four areas that we focus on, uh, take them through a section, a semester each, one section on the word, which is really a layman's uh, systematic theology course. Uh, the, the next semester is on the leader, and that goes through the qualifications that I talked about earlier. A section, a whole semester on the church. Uh, what does the Bible teach the church is about? And what is the mission of the church? And then uh, the mission in general, uh, a theology of how we go about carrying out the mission God has given us. And in addition to our Leadership Institute, we have a pastors and training program. And this is a program designed for any uh, men who have aspirations for pastoral ministry. Uh, They have that noble desire that I talked about. And uh, over the years, we've had a number of young men come through our pastors and training course. And uh, the idea is if they have a, uh, an eye to pursue pastoral ministry and would like to one day be ordained, this is, this is the beginning of that process, uh, of us helping them through that process. So that's the purpose there that you see listed, is to assist the church in that sacred responsibility to ordain men to pastoral ministry. And because of that, 
uh, we recognize we need to focus on these three areas. Godly character, that's who the man is, who the pastor is. Theological acumen, what the pastor believes and is able to teach. And then uh, lastly, pastoral skills, what a pastor does. And so those are the things that we focus on. And uh, the components of the program focus on those uh, those aspects. We have uh, monthly meetings. This is a, a program that I have gone through. Um, uh, pastor Matt Owen, who had, was associate pastor here for a number of years, has gone through that program. And other men have gone through that. Our, our own Jim Steppenbacher is going through that program right now. And uh, this is a process that involves training and other components as well. You notice in the next paragraph there, second to last paragraph, that a part of this process is assessing that person's character and qualifications. And so this is a process that needs to be a public process. And so that's why you all know that that Jim is our, while he is uh, assistant to the pastor, he is a part of our pastors and training program. And uh, he and Lisa have uh, voluntarily said, yes, we are, we would like to pursue ministry. We want to, uh, we want to be considered by the church for this type of ministry. And so we minister side by side with them. We serve with them. We see them living out, uh, the mission. And they, when the time comes, will ask us to, uh, to give evaluation. Is this something you see having served with us now that we're qualified? And there's three areas that we focus on, uh, that they be actively engaged in ministry. You see there as well, um, that, we as a church take an intentional approach to helping them in their pursuit of that. And then the third thing, uh, that when the process comes to the point of ordination, that we as a church are the ones who uh, grant that approval, that we publicly uh, announce that, yes, we recognize that God has prepared you for this task. And uh, just a paragraph at the end there about the importance of a uh, person who would be considered for pastoral ministry, a man who would be going into pastoral ministry and his theology. We say there that uh, a candidate's theology can be acquired either formally or informally or a combination of both. Uh, we have the benefit of living in a time where uh, it's, it is fairly uh, simple to get a solid theological education. Uh, we can, I can go and enroll in a seminary and take uh, courses in theology by people who spend a good portion of their life uh, certifying that this is what God's word says and here's how it applies and, and teaching those things. Um, but though there are many good institutions that would award degrees, seminary degrees, and allow for that, it is the responsibility of the church to steward the truth, like we looked at at the beginning there, uh, that that the the primacy or the priority of the church, that we are the, we have been called the pillar and ground of the truth, the stewards of the truth. And so a man's theological training cannot omit uh, that, what might be considered less formal or informal aspect, and that is his theology training in the church. And so while we would recommend that a person who is going to be a pastor pursue a theology degree and have some formal training and spend the time doing the hard work to uh, to be sure you understand God's word and can correlate the truth and uh, teach the truth, um, we do understand that these things can be acquired 
uh, in an informal way in the church through living in a life of ministry and, and learning and carrying out, being a conduit of the truth as you, as you learn it. So however acquired to be considered for a pastor, uh, a man must demonstrate solid understanding of theology. And the way that we measure this is we ask that person to submit a written statement of their doctrine and to then defend it in front of uh, a group, an ordination council gathered for that purpose. So in the next several months, Rich Carrico and myself will be going through this process. So I stand here describing this to you as a guy about to go through that. And uh, um, it's while it's a daunting task, it is very important to be sure that one has thought through uh, the details because then we will be entrusted to stand up and teach those details to all of you. So uh, that's that's the process. We take this seriously. And because of that, you'll notice the last sentence there. Because we take this so seriously, um, traditionally in our circles, uh, someone would have an ordination council and they would have the meeting where the, the people kind of put them on trial, ask them questions about their statement. This is complicated. How do you explain this? What about this facet or aspect of your doctrinal statement? And really just test that they understand what they're talking about. They know how to handle God's word rightly. But we'll have that council, and then the the next day or the day after, we have a ceremony where their family has traveled in from miles, and people have hotels and parties and celebrations planned. And we have the ordination ceremony. Hands are laid on. The man is ordained and becomes a pastor. We take this process seriously enough that we have designed that there's space between those things so that though we probably wouldn't ask somebody to come to the process of going to an ordination council if there were serious doubts that they were qualified, it's still not a foregone conclusion. They have to demonstrate that they can handle God's word. And so for that reason, we'll have that process for Rich and myself in the earlier part of the year, first quarter, and then an ordination ceremony will be scheduled sometime later just to just to uh, observe that uh, this is a serious process that we have to take seriously. It's not, not just a formality. So on page four there, program completion. The program takes about two years to complete as pastor takes these, uh, the young men who would be uh, or men who would be involved in our pastors and training program about two years. And uh, at the end of the two years, there's no guarantee that a person's ready for ordination, but we want to we want to recognize that we shouldn't do this hastily. This isn't a process that we should rush through. And so um, once the candidate is deemed ready, then we would recommend them for ordination. And in most cases, it'll take several years because we're asking you all, to make a decision, do you deem this person, as you have observed their life and their doctrine and their ability, do you agree that this person is qualified the way the Bible describes them as being qualified for ministry? And then the last bullet point there, uh, wives. Uh, for both pastors and deacons, the, the description of qualifications for a pastor do not specify anything about their wives, but directly after that in in uh, Paul's words to Timothy, he does give qualifications for the wives of deacons. And I think it just makes sense if if there are minimum requirements for the wives of deacons, there would be for pastors as well. And so for that reason, as a, as a part of the pastors and training program as well, we strive to be um, helping the candidate's wife to be growing, maturing, uh, assessing as well. So next section, uh, we've, we've talked about leadership at CBC. We value leadership. It's important to us here. But 
the other thing that impressed me as I sat in that living room listening to Pastor Ken talk about um, the plans and the strategy for growing Community Bible Church and having an impact, that's what he called it at the beginning, that we would be an impact ministry, uh, making an impact in our community that eventually would grow into what he called an epicenter ministry where ripples would go out beyond just our local community because of the impact that we could have. And as I listened to him talk about that, he talked about a focus on outreach that achieved a balance um, that was very exciting to me. Uh, as a young man in conservative Baptist circles, I had been warned uh, regularly about the dangers of taking a marketing approach to ministry, about treating ministry like any other business where we kind of see where the wind's blowing, figure out what you can do to pack the most people into the pews, and then just roll with it, whatever's popular. And I had been uh, warned and warned and took the warning seriously. Um, but the opposite effect can be taken when you hear all those warnings and you think, well, okay, it's just going to be the few, the proud, and uh, it's okay if we're not good at outreach because that's all right. That's in God's hands. We don't have to take seriously uh, the reason we exist, the Great Commission, which is as we go through the world making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all the things that Jesus commanded. And here I listened to Pastor Ken talk about some of the things that uh, we will go through in this next section. We're about out of time, so we'll finish that uh, when we come together next time. But um, as I listened to him describe these things in a way that took seriously the command to be reaching the world around us, but had had taken great pains to think through ways to do it that didn't compromise the essential function of the church, that didn't water down the message in order to get people to come and listen to it. I uh, was very excited. So we'll talk about uh, our out, outward focus and, and the different components um, as we come together in the next couple of weeks. Let's uh, close today with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for uh, these folks, so many uh, of your people, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have come together to join together for ministry, to uh, not only be learning and growing together, but serving and carrying out your work together. And uh, we have so many competing agendas and priorities in our life, uh, things that the world tell us are important, things that our own hearts are drawn to. And I pray, Lord, that as we focus on what you say matters over these next couple of weeks, we would be reinvigorated that our Hearts would be stirred for the opportunity and privilege that is before us being a part of your church. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be engaged in those things even this week as we go about our our daily lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.